listeners. This is Kate Fitzsimmons. I'd like to let you know that we're doing something a little different this week. We have a special sponsored interview. This week's interview with Berkeley Breathed is sponsored by Diamond Book Distributors, a unit of Diamond Comics Distributors, which distributes graphic novels and pop culture merchandise to the book trade. Stay tuned after our Tinny Howard interview for our interview with Berkeley Breathed, who is publishing Bloom County, Episode 11, A New Hope, this September with IDW. Welcome to More to Come, Publishers Weekly's weekly podcast of comics and graphic novel news. I'm Heidi McDonald, the graphic novels editor of Publishers Weekly. Today I am live on the scene in Baltimore, Maryland, for the Diamond Retailer Summit 2016, an immense event of import, of majesty, of lunch. Retailers need to be fed regularly. Um, so we just had a cookie break. At the cookie break, I met Teeny Howard. Now, Teeny, you are a writer, a, a retailer, a polymath, a polyglot, a poly. What do you What do you do? You work at a store. I do. Uh, I'm a comic book writer for companies like Black Mask, uh, uh, Boom, um, Top Cow, and others. And uh, I'm also I, I work at a shop. I, I I can't stop. I had to go down to like one day a week because my. Uh, my writing schedule's gotten crazy, but I, I stick to that one day a week. And it's Tuesday, so I get to see all the new books before they come out. I picked a good day to keep my day. What's the name of the store where you work? I work at Nerdvana Comics in Wilmington, North Carolina, right oh. by the beach. And you are also a Valkyrie, is mm-hmm. that correct? Okay. I am. I'm a member of the Valkyries. Well, t- I want to talk about your new book that's coming out this fall, but uh, you know, talk, talk a, li- a little bit about the Valkyries. We've written about them in PW, but uh, I don't think we've ever really captured one. I feel like a, a Pokemon Go here. I've, oh. I've caught the Valkyrie. Um, I, I feel like I know what does she evolve into um, <laughs> I feel like it's, it's a hard thing for me to talk about the Valkyries because I'm not one of the like representatives I mean it sounds silly it's not like we're super formal and strict but you know um, I can't officially represent us sure we like to make sure we're all of course um, of course and that's that's even more valuable that obviously Teeny's taken a vow of silence <laughs> of this power to powerful organization but uh, you know I, yeah I, what do you what do you, it is an organization yeah. for, for women who work at comic, comic shops women who work at comic shops um, you know work in you know retail shops in some capacity or another and it's basically just a group where we all hang out and, uh, all, you know, we have an online group and we just share our uh, victories and frustrations and ask for help from each other because, um, and it's also nice because a lot of girls work in shops that don't have any female coworkers. Mm-hmm. So it's nice to say, hey, you know, there are any girls I can talk to at my shop about this, but maybe there's, you know, a, a regular that said something I didn't like and what should I say back? You know, just things, things that sometimes it's like you just need the advice of another woman who's in this industry that is still largely dominated by men um absolutely and so yeah i mean for for me it's just a, a place to make friends and co-workers and uh you know eat sinister breakfast in conventions <laughs> there you go well the secret organization uh, it's not so secret but you know i think it, the way it's been handled is really smart because you guys definitely do uh do the lord's work in a lot of ways or the, the goddesses work actually um <laughs> now teeny tell me about the skeptics this is a book you have coming out that you're writing yeah. uh coming out this fall from black mask yeah um so i'm writing the skeptics with Tabaki miyogi who you probably know from uh either the kim and kim covers from black mask or curb stomp from boom she did with ryan farrier um she's on art uh jen hickman on colors um who's about to be huge jen hickman's amazing um and uh yeah we we pitched it to Black Mask and we were announced as part of the Black Mask, you know, class of 2016. Uh, first issue is out October 26th and it's, I've been selling it as kind of, you know, it, it's a book about uh, the 60s. It's about uh, 
whether or not having superpowers is important as being able to pretend like you do. Um, it's about how punk rock it is to be the smartest kid in the room. Um, and yeah, we've been saying it's kind of, you know, it's got a little X-Men first class feel to it. It's like uh, Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys solving like Watchmen level <laughs> mysteries. So, you know, there's nuclear tension and also, uh, you know, teen angst. Right. Sounds, sounds like a heady brew. Now, um, what made you, we were actually, this goes back to, we were just having a conversation at the, 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 the cookie social. Uh, what makes Black Mask uh, a company that you wanted to, a publisher that you wanted to work with? Um, well, I, I get asked this. That's probably the question I get asked more than any other about the book. Is, Interesting. You know, why Black Mask? And I, think, <laughs> I think the biggest reason for that is that so much of what Black Mask does is like really obviously visually punk rock. Um, and I've got this book with these like charming preppy kids in laboratories. But the thing is, is like, like ethically the book is really punk rock. You know, it's about being smarter than the people in charge and knowing it and how you use that um, to do what's right. Um, it's, you know, for, for a book that takes place in the early part of the 60s, uh, it's, you know, a little more like, a little more Mad Men than Summer of Love. Um, it still is a book that uh, espouses that ethic. Um, one thing about the book that I said, is, you know, I, I didn't want to have to feel like I had to add like a Soviet nuclear dinosaur that they had to punch so that mm-hmm. people would pick up the book. I mean, nothing against books where people punch dinosaurs. I love Captain Marvel. Um, but <laughs> this was not a book where people were going to be punching dinosaurs. Um, a lot of the book is really tense and interpersonal. Um, and there are some fun heists and, you know, some hard days, night style shenanigans. But I, I wanted to go to a publisher that wouldn't say it needs more punching. It mm-hmm. needs more action. It needs more sex or any of that. Uh, you know, I, I, the book, it, it does, I can compare it a lot to books like We Can Never Go Home that are really more about the relationship between the two main characters than anything else. Um, and also their relationship to what they're dealing with. And uh, that's the core of the skeptics. And I knew I knew that the team at Black Mask would, would get that. And they totally did. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. Yeah, they are definitely putting out some books that have been getting a lot more attention now. Uh, Kim and Kim, obviously, oh, yeah. is a buzz book. I've been really hearing a lot of people talk about yeah. it here at the show, which is, which is amazing. You know what's cool about that book is that the writer, Mags, is someone I've become super close to. And I actually get to meet her in the flesh for the first time oh, tomorrow. Wow. And we're going to, like, terrorize Oh, my God. Oh. <laughs> they should actually make, I met Mags at San Diego for the first time. This should totally be a reality show. Okay, <laughs> Teeny and Mags, you heard it here first. You know what? Just give me a residual. It's all. <laughs> All I want. Fire. Um, yeah, t- Tina, how long have you been writing comics? Um, my first published comic, I mean, I've been I've been writing scripts and trying to write comics since like 2012, 2013. Um, and then in 2014, I submitted to the Top Cow Talent Hunt. Um, and they published my Magdalena script, and that was my first published credit. Um, and since then, uh, you know, I've been writing. And it's, it's funny, uh, uh, Christopher Svella is a good friend of mine. He once said that... You know, his it was like a blog post. It wasn't something he said to me, but he talked about how like his first year in comics he wrote one issue, and then his second year he wrote three, and then his third year he wrote like ten, and mm-hmm. from there it just kind of went exponentially. And I've totally had that experience. Like my first year it was the one book, and then my second year it was like a, a single issue, a short, and like an essay or two. And then uh, this year it's been I'm like I'm writing multiple series at once. Right. You're also like, writing the Pink Rangers for IDW. I or for yeah for Boom. Oh, so um, pardon me for Boom. Uh, pardon me, strike that. Anyway. Uh, which is is you know no big deal to follow up. You know Kelly Thompson and Brendan Fletcher who are two of like the hottest writers in the industry right now, and they're both so nice to me too. They're always like, hey, what's up? You know. 
tacos. Do you have any? <laughs> and I'm just like, oh my gosh. I, I just kind of like flabbergasted. What are some of the comics that, that inspired you? Oh, wow. The writers that you love. Yeah. Uh, like, <laughs> no big deal. Like, you know, just geniuses like Alison Bechtel. Um, Alison Bechtel's one of my favorite writers ever. Uh, she really inspires me. Uh, Grant Morrison. I'm a huge, huge Grant Morrison fan. I, I really love the whole idea of, you know, not just superheroes, but comic figures as these, like, archetypal... Uh, emotional things. Um, so Grant Morrison's one of my favorites. Uh, Neil Gaiman, um, uh, Alan Moore. I mean, it's it's kind of a, a boring list of you know these these greats, but uh, those are a lot of my favorites. <laughs> uh, people writing right now that I love a whole lot. Uh, I'll, I'll read anything Tom King writes. He's amazing. Um, he's one of my favorites. Um, We've had we've had um, Grant and Tom on this podcast, so you're you're joining them. Oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad it's a podcast and you can't see the nerdy face I just made. <laughs> Only yeah. Heidi had to see that. Well, it was, you know, listen, we like to talk to, to smart people on this podcast. So, oh. uh, gosh, I'm yeah. Uh, but uh, well, it's cool. You, well, tell me, uh, really, we're running out of time because we only have a very short, uh, uh, limited space this time out. But I'm sure we'll be talking to you again. But but what uh, are you here at the the summit as a retailer, as a writer, as both? As I'm here as a writer. Um, I was gonna I was coming to the con as a writer to promote the book, and then um, uh, Andrea Cell asked me if I wanted to be part of the Women in Comics panel. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm here. I was a guest on the panel um, as a creator. They wanted to have a, a female comic book creator on the panel to talk about, you know, how we network with retailers. But it's also cool because I have the perspective of a retailer as well, right? Which comes in handy when I'm talking to retailers. Oh yeah, I I, I hear that. Now, uh, I mean, do you think that coming? I I, I know that they don't always. Uh, I don't know. Do you think coming to the summit is a good thing for a creator? I mean, is it a good? Is it a good good way to meet retailers or I I've been here for like an hour and a half and I already <laughs> had the thought I was like I you know was like washing my hands and thinking like this this feels like a business trip more than mm. any other con you know I think it's definitely worth it to treat yourself if you're a creator and you have a way of attending the Diamond Retailer Summit um, it's uh, yeah it's a it's a business trip I mean you can party the rest of the weekend but tonight is like or today has been about uh, really communicating with retailers uh, and just you know these are the people that order your books, guys. Right. I'm speaking to my fellow creators here. Like, these are the people that are ordering your books. Just getting a chance to, like, exchange a card, hand them some promo material, shake their hands. Um, that, that's good for you, especially in an industry that is at this point, you know, creator-owned comics have become such a big thing in this industry, and there's previews is just getting thicker and thicker. There are more and more publishers for them to choose from every day. Um, especially if you're, you know, a smaller, if you have a book on a smaller publisher like Black Mask, getting to look someone in the eye and hand them a card and shake their hand is vital. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you can really make a splash here. So, well, Tina, I'm going to let you get back to doing that and selling your book and making, uh, <laughs> but uh, thank you so much for taking a couple minutes to talk to us here at More to Come, and I'm sure we'll be seeing more of you. Thank you so much, Heidi. It was great. I'll, I'll have you to come back anytime. All right. There'll be more to come. This is Kate Fitzsimmons from Publishers Weekly Comics World, More to Come, and I'm here with Berkeley Brethed of Bloom County, Opus, Outland, and now a new book coming out from uh, IDW, which is entitled, uh, catch me if I get this wrong, sir, Bloom County, Episode 11, A New Hope. <laughs> I'm glad you got the title right. 
Um, and it sounds familiar, doesn't it? Uh, yes, and it's, it's, strangely. Yeah, I couldn't, I, I couldn't resist. It was uh, coming out. We were working at the same time that the new Star Wars is coming out, and uh, there were some interesting parallels between bringing that franchise back and reinventing it and bringing mine, so I couldn't resist. There it is. Yeah, the uh, title page inside the cover has Opus cutting off Bill the Cat's tail with a lightsaber. Yeah, that pretty much says it all. Um, it, 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 Star Wars had a place in, a, in its universe, in the Bloom County universe, in 1982, when I started in 81. Um, and those are pretty much the first topical or cultural jokes that I was doing. So it was a nice bit of closure to come back and uh, 25, 26 years later um, for both of us, uh, kind of starting over again. So it was fun. So you're saying there's some parallels between the process of bringing back Star Wars mm -hmm. and bringing back Bloom mm -hmm. County? Well, only in the sense that, that probably we share a generation of readers and fans um, to a degree. I don't want to compare myself to Star Wars, but um, my fans, uh, my classic fans, are, were probably coming of age right when that movie was coming out. So um, I think George Lucas getting his head cut off by a lightsaber in my strip was one of the first things I did of any uh, pop cultural reference in the strip and it stuck. So I thought it would be fun to return to them. So this book came about in a different way than your previous collections. Previously, you had been going on the older model of having a strip in papers and then, you know, later collecting that through a publisher. But as I take it, uh, your publishing model for more recent strips has been a bit different. Can you talk about that? Well, we're on Facebook. Um, when I decided in all of the five minutes that I chose to to make the decision 26 years later, um, I had to quickly choose whether I was going to go return to the old model of newspaper syndication, uh, which was successful in the past. We were in over 1,000 papers when we quit, uh, when I quit, uh, in 1989. Um, and when I look back at that syndication world now, uh, there was nothing there. It was like looking at a vacuum. Um, my readers were not, my classic readers weren't necessarily young, but they weren't so old that they were the core readership of what most, what constitutes most newspaper readers today. So I wouldn't have found the, uh, a large number of the, the readers that I was needing to find and go back and, and grab. Facebook was the next best option. Uh, the problem with Facebook is that it's free. So um, the lights still need to be paid for, and the computer time and the Internet needs to be paid for. So we needed to figure out a different way to monetize. So we're, we're, we're slowly doing that, but at the, uh, in, the, in the interim, we put it on Facebook and reached um, the 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 smaller pool of, of readers that exist on Facebook from, from the old days, um, which fundamentally changed the the nature of my work because I was now interacting with them on a daily level, which I had never before done. Uh, my readers were an abstraction that occasionally wrote to me with old-fashioned fan mail, but that that was nothing akin to how they communicate with me now so that and that began to affect the art so it's um, it's it definitely uh, it's a i'm not sure that anyone has done this with a comic strip before brought back a strip that had 
had started in, uh, in, in an old-fashioned paradigm and brought it to the digital age. Uh, certainly there are digital strips now, but they're, they're not trying to fold in a, a previous audience. So um, we're, we're pioneering a bit of a, of a new paradigm and finding out that, that not only is it, is it working um, and that, uh, that the, the, we're reaching a, a higher number of people than I would have thought, but it's also changing the nature of the material itself in that I have a, a relationship with my fans and the readers that I never had before and couldn't have before. So um, to clarify for our listeners, you actually have not dropped out of the uh, newspaper world since 1989. You, in fact, have had two related uh, comics in papers, uh, Outland and Opus. Yeah, exactly. I did Sundays. They were only for Sundays, uh, which is a different beast than a daily comic strip. Uh, and I did it for a, a, a defined, each one for a defined five years. I told the syndicate that I would do it for five, and I would stop which is what I did. Um, but a daily comic strip, which is really a unique animal, um, and, it, and it has its own demands, and it has an intensity of readership that a, uh, for instance, a Sunday-only comic strip, which I kind of pioneered as an idea, really could never achieve. Um, so when I came back, I knew that I had to return to Bloom County, the original version of it, that we left in newspapers. And yes, I had done other strips, but not a daily strip. And it really is a unique thing. Um, and that's what we're trying to do on, on Facebook. Um, and finding more success than I think people had expected. So you're, you've said that uh, your relationship with your readers is, is obviously very different and is affecting your comic. Can you talk a little bit about what that relationship has been like for you and how you think it has affected the comic? Yeah, getting feedback, getting very emotional feedback very quickly to the ideas presented, which is what Facebook is particularly good at. Um, I hadn't seen it done with a regular flow of art before. Um, I'd only seen Facebook as, as, a, as a form of blogging for people. But having something that used to be a commercial feature presented on Facebook, a little like a TV show, was new. Um, and it allowed the, the readers who would normally would have kept their thoughts to themselves in the old days, not bother to write a fan letter because much of the communication wouldn't necessarily fall into the category of a fan mail. Um, but to have them comment and then come in contact with other likely-minded readers to discuss that, that day's strip was a paradigm shift, was a, a complete um, – is a revolution in in how a comic reader can can interact with the feature itself, and what it what happened, of course, and I came to it late, but everyone else has discovered is that you build a community around it. So suddenly, I had a real community of fans that were having more fun actually discussing stuff among themselves after each posting than they that they did with me, um, and that as I watched them discuss both the humor and the character and what that uh, meant to them, um, it would it would mean that I would return back to the strip the next day, uh, probably with a different attitude than I would have if I hadn't if I hadn't read their comments the day before. That instant feedback was actually um, a a feedback loop that was that was changing the way I approached each following strip. 
Um, there's good and bad news with that. Many times they were beating me to a punchline. The fans started riffing on an idea I would have, and suddenly I would discover that they had already stumbled upon where the story was going, and they started imagining what my characters would be doing. I had already planned to be doing that, so it looked like I was actually taking their ideas. There's There was an example of an unforeseen, uh, uh, I wouldn't say a problem, an unforeseen dynamic and aspect to Facebook that was changing the, the, the nature of the art in the way that I never faced before in the comic strips. Uh, in the old days, I had a two-week lead time, mm-hmm. so that was as quick as I could return to a subject if, if there was something that I thought was timely. Um, the quickest I could do was two weeks. Now it's a matter of an hour. Um, but then as soon as I did it, the response back from the readers would be another several weeks away. So the lag time had slowed down to a crawl. Um, now it's instantaneous, and that's changing everything completely. So you're saying it, it affected your art. It affected your storytelling. Um, can you give any examples of that or, like, what that looked like? You know, I won't give specific examples because I don't want to give away uh, too, many of the, uh, too much of the activity behind the hidden curtain, but... Um, if I had a storyline and I had intended certain things to happen, but I discovered that something I had brought up in the maybe even just a character showed up in, the, in, in a strip and suddenly people were responding to that, um, I could – because I'm an, I'm, I'm an entertainer. I'm not terribly interested in, in just getting my expressions out. I'm there as as Dickens used to when he would – put his novels into into a serial form and send them out, he was intensely interested in how people were responding to them. And he wasn't happy if they didn't, as I'm not. So when I find that someone's responding to something or a character or even a line or a particular um, avenue of humor, I'll return to that and have fun exploring it, almost energized by their reaction. So it's a, that's, that's the, the circle I'm talking about. That's the the, uh, the closed loop uh, where the fans are actually uh, interacting with me and their feedback is affecting future creative decisions I have very quickly in, rather than in slow motion, which used to happen in the mid-80s. So the content in, you know, your new book, when would you say most of this is from? Like some of it's, I'm seeing like, 2015, 2016. Is there anything like older than that, or or how is this book arranged? No, no. We we started a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I I came back uh, in July of last year. So that you're seeing every strip that I did um, with annotation and often some commentary from Facebook fans uh, in the book as well. Um, I had never done books in the past in all the 80s and 90s that featured every comic strip I did. Uh, the old paradigm was to, uh, after the, each year of strips, I would choose what I thought was the best and put them in a book, which was um, it, one of the rare mistakes I will own up to. It was a lousy way to, to record those years' strips for people. Um, trying to choose what were probably the best strips is a, um, is a fool's task, as you can't do it. Uh, once one strip is funny to one person, it uh, the one's not funny to that person could be someone else's favorite. So 
um, no longer do we do that. So this book has every strip that I did from July of 2015 when I returned up until a few months ago. Um, and it's, so it's a full record, and they'll remain that way. So here I am looking at your book, and one can't help but notice that there's a certain number of Trump strips. Uh, would you say that he is a source of comedic inspiration to you? You know, it was wrongly assumed that his return somehow triggered mine, and uh, he's been given too much credit for nearly everything. He's, he would be given too much credit in that regard as well. Uh, he and I go way back. Uh, he, he was insulting me in the late 80s, so um, uh, there's nothing new about Trump for me, and I actually found him a fairly boring character, as I, as I find him now as a boring satirical uh, target. In fact, he's nearly impossible now. Uh, what I found far more interesting was that 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 his return indicated something else happening in our culture that I didn't want to miss out on, and it had little to do with Trump. Trump was a symptom, like a cough and a cold. Um, but there's there's currents happening right now that are that are going to be a sea change. I'd hate to have missed out on that. So it was a good timing. I was I was needing to come back. For other reasons as well, um, uh, Harper Lee's uh, uh, return to novels was an effect on me uh, and her death later uh, because she and I had a relationship that that went back quite a few years. And um, she was a, a surprising fan of mine, uh, as I was hers, of course, and we um, and she affected my art as well. And when she when she encouraged me not to quit uh, a decade ago uh, doing one of my strips, I didn't take it to heart as well as I should have. And um, I returned to that uh, last year. And when she put out her novel, it made me think about it again. And those it, it I brought out the old letters that she had written me, encouraging me to keep going. And they took on a different patina um in light of her own um publisher's mistake in cho choosing to to bring her back at the wrong time so it's a, it's 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 a convoluted story but she had a more, probably more of an influence on my return than donald trump ever did but he was an indicator of of things happening that um that i uh that no one can ignore and um it's the the, rever the reverberations are going to be happening a long time so i'd, I'd hate to not be publishing at this point uh, for that reason, but but uh, now he himself had little to do with return. I've, I've, Kate, I've called him in the past a reverse canary in the American coal mine mm -hmm. because it, it always occurred to me that that as as coal miners used to carry a, a live canary into a coal mine, as soon as it stopped singing, they knew that there was a toxic gas in the air. Trump is it's like the dead canary that's brought into the room and when he comes back alive and starts singing you know something's really wrong um, and that's kind of how I see him uh, as just a symptom of something far more interesting happening so what do you think he's a symptom of um, I'll let that play out in the comic strip but um, <laughs> it 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 
it's been a long time happening, and the political system had nowhere to go but here. Um, and that is the political system is actually just, and, and the status of it right now is more a reflection of what's been happening in our popular culture. So um, the things that we choose to watch them to be, the things, that, the choices that politicians now make are a reflection of our choices in film and television and, and the things we read and the things we don't read. Um, it's, it's all a, a, an organic shared universe that, uh, that is, I think, an indication of, I'm not going to put a judgment on it. It's, it's an indication that we can't go backwards again and times are going to get lively ahead, I think. And it's got nothing to do with Trump. So here I am looking at your comic. Here are all these characters in, in their new form. How would you say that they've changed over the years since you started your comic all those years ago? You know, cartoonists can't help but change their characters. We think we don't want to, but they do. If you look at Peanuts in the 50s and then you look at what they what they look like in the 80s and 90s, um, the characters, I mean, uh, there's there's some similarities and there's some consistencies, but there's a lot of change. And of course, what you're looking at is a change in the in the creator. Um, what, what's both interesting and scary for me is to look at what my characters are doing now and how they behave now, as opposed to how they were when I was drawing them when I was 23. Um, and I'm 59 now, so they shouldn't be the same. If they're the same, then then I have not gone through any changes. There's no way because there's nothing more a reflection of the of the writer than a cartoon character. I think even more than a novelist um, or even a television writer or a screenwriter. There's something so you uniquely connective between a daily strip writer and his characters that, that they inevitably become a mirror of what's happening in your own life. And I, I don't particularly like that fact. I don't, I'm a very private person. So the idea that people have a, a uh, looking through a keyhole into my life is terrifying to me, but um, I can't hide it and I can't keep it from happening. Um, so you, to get your to, to your question specifically was what are the changes I see? Well, I see myself and my characters and the and what's going through them, and um, I'm hoping that it hasn't. In fact, it was one of my worries when I came back as to their constitution now was going to be fundamentally different than they were when I was drawing them when I was in my early 20s. So would they still be funny? Would they still be relevant to people? Um, and that's why I, I had no idea, which is explains when I came back after those decades, I made no announcements. I made no press release. I let nobody know. It was a, it was a shock to my own syndicate. It was a surprise to every newspaper that I just started posting on Facebook one day. Um, and it was largely because I had the faintest idea what was going to come out of my pen. Uh, and if it, if it didn't look anything familiar to what it used to be three decades ago, um, I would have rather have it appear to almost nobody than to a big expectant audience. So, um, the, the, the short, that's a long answer to a short question, but the characters are different, but they're also the same. And they're fortunately same enough to 
to um, to look familiar enough to people that they weren't disappointed. I was happy to discover. Um, actually, my fans were uh, very graciously uh, uh, open about the fact that that they recognized what they considered their old friends. So, and I did too. I wasn't sure I would. So, what comedic topics have you found? moving your work now as opposed to earlier in your career? Would you say there are things similar, what things are the same, what things are different? Well, I can tell you, yeah, I can tell you what I don't do is, is I don't, and this is a reflection of, of both my age and probably so, a bit of maturity, um, I spent a lot of time, too much time, mocking celebrities in the 80s. Uh, part of it was that there was no one else doing it. Uh, we were virtually alone. The Saturday Night Live and a few of us on the comic page, that's all there was. There was virtually, there was nothing, there was no comedic output that was that was spending each day reflecting the absurdity of uh, certainly the pop culture at the time. So it was too big a thing to ignore. So Michael Jackson and Barry Manilow and, um, and everyone else that was that was um, famous, probably. Uh, well, then, yeah, but also uh, particularly noisy was was showing up in my strip, and I was uh, I was probably commenting on them in a way that I would never now. Um, and I, ter- I, I for some people have already heard me tell the story, but I ran into Barry Manilow. On the street, almost literally, I was on a scooter with my child some years ago, and he was he was all by himself, walking a bit lost in Santa Barbara, and uh, it, it was a bit of a surreal moment. And I I had spent many many a trip um, lightly mocking or making fun of Barry's appeal in the old days, and. He, when I had gotten severely injured in a flying accident in the 80s, the very first bouquet of massive ro- a, bo- a massive bouquet of roses that came to the hospital was from Barry Manilow. Uh, and this after after years of lightly poking fun at him. And it was the first clue that that it was probably unnecessary. Um, that uh, that there are people that are deserving of that treatment there's then there's people that are not um and there's no reason to waste time on ones really that are causing no harm so uh when i found when i bumped into him on the street i had a a, a surreal moment to and an opportunity to apologize to him and to reintroduce myself and we had a great couple minutes um touching base and what's ironic is he he showed up just coincidentally months later um to look at my house to buy years years later um all to say that you never know when things are going to come back full closure uh but he the fact that barry sort of showed up in my life later reminded me that um i had spent too much time mocking individuals mocking even issues that that didn't deserve it um, and you wouldn't see me do that today. Uh, I, I don't think I've mentioned the word Kardashian. I might have. My, the fans are going to correct me when they <laughs> hear this. But um, I pointedly, that would have been the thing that I would have spent far, far too much time on 
25 years ago. I won't do it now. Um, so even political figures, um, in the old days I spent too much time on, on minor political figures and whatever they were up to. It's just not worth it. There's far better things and far more positive things. So, the, the, again, a, a long way around it to answering your, your very good question. I wouldn't spend the time on many of the topics I would have in the past because they were far too negative. And that's, that's, a, that's my way of talking about Barry Manilow. I was being negative about a guy that didn't deserve that kind of negativity. There are people and, and things that deserve negativity now, but I'm trying not to focus on them. In fact, I naturally don't now at this point in my life. Uh, my fans don't want it either. Uh, there's, they're now awash in a way that they were not in the 80s in newspapers. They're now awash in, in enough trash online that the last thing they want to see from Bloom County, even though I made it my business to trash individuals and people and, and, and events and uh, politics, really, they, they're not coming to that for that anymore. So I will do what I've always done, but I will return to looking for ways to accentuate uh, what's good in our, uh, in our world and make it, make it funny as well, hopefully. Um, so the satire isn't gone, but I want the fans, uh, and they've let me know in no uncertain terms that that's what they expect out of, out of the new Bloom County is, uh, in a world awash with negative crap and snark, um, they don't need to come to me for that anymore. They've got it everywhere else. So, um, the filter that I give them is one of, of optimism and maybe a little hope and especially online when they're faced with nothing but uh, a, a, a lot of thumbs pointing downward. So. so can you tell our listeners a little about your strip or really sort of your your strip universe? Because, you know, there's Bloom County and then there's also Outland and there's Opus. How does it all fit together? Who are these people? <laughs> well, there's no theme to the strip, and I carefully designed it that way. Uh, it I did the opposite of what the trend was in the 80s, which has come out. It was the same, like same with television, uh, which is to to uh, come up with a high concept theme instead of that. It's easier to sell a strip and uh, easier to market it. Uh, I pointedly avoided any theme in my comic strip whatsoever. It wasn't about hillbillies. It wasn't about having kids. It wasn't about parenting. It wasn't about children. Um, but neither was Peanuts. Uh, Peanuts never had a moment of childhood in it. Uh, Calvin and Hobbes is about children, which was, in the end, self-limiting. Uh, a little boy's universe was eventually going to get explored, and, and, and he was stuck with that. And I think Bill wisely knew that, that there was a finite closure to that, to that universe, and he ended it. Um, I wanted to be careful that I never wrote myself into a dead end that way. So um, I have children, I have adults, I have cats, I have penguins, but it's not about any of those things. Um, so I, I would be loath to try to describe what the universe is. Uh, the, the only thing they all share when I've done the various strips over the years is uh, is uh, a couple of the characters, and I would carry them on. But Bloom County itself with a distinctive tone that I didn't necessarily carry on in other strips that I did 
in the Sunday strips. Uh, and it's that, that tone that only comes from a daily four-panel strip that I had to return to and had to find again when I returned to it last year. That's what I hadn't done for 15 years, for 26 years. So even though I had done other Sunday strips and other Sunday panels, they really, if you read them, they, they share very little with the, the, the vibe and the rhythm and the, the attitude that Bloom County had back in those four panel days. Um, and I, that's what I've tried to return to in the last year. Um, largely, I think I have. I was surprised that I could. I didn't know until I did it, which is why I came in so quiet. So how would you describe that vibe that is Bloom County? I wouldn't. You wouldn't? I would let – no, I would let you. <laughs> um, no, it's not, it's not my job to describe it. Um, if I could describe it, then it would have been something that I would have set out to do. And if you're setting yourself up for failure, that would be the first thing you would try to do. Okay. Is is to define what you're intending to do and and um, and try to achieve a an end goal with a comic strip is a surefire way to to guarantee disaster. So maybe it's almost a uh, a, a, a superstitious thing is that I wouldn't pretend to try to define what it is that, that either makes Bloom County unique or what it is that I bring to uh, the comic world. Mm -hmm. haven't, the, haven't the faintest idea. Okay. So can you tell us a little about maybe some of these recurring characters who are near and dear to the heart of Bloom County lovers everywhere? Well, it, tell us about the characters. To... Tell the, some, okay, some people in our listener audience, not, may never have not, read your comic. So if you could tell us a little bit about some of these characters, who they are. Hmm. <laughs> um, I wouldn't do that either, to be honest with you, Kate. I, um, after doing them for, for 30 years, trying to introduce them to somebody new, um, they just have to find them. I couldn't describe them. Uh, it makes no sense. If I was to tell you that I do a comic strip with a penguin and a cat and a dead cat and uh, an ex-frat boy is a lawyer, um, it would do more to confuse people than it would be to help define it. Um, if I drew peanuts, I could tell you I, I have an adult world populated by characters pretending to be children, and that might make sense. But I can't even define mine adequately in that way. Um, so I know you give me an opportunity to, to try to present it to new People, but they would. I would. I, I think I would scare people off trying to define what my characters are, other than that that they're people and there's animals and they live in a small town. And the, and maybe that's the only thing I would be willing to say, suggest is that I I have a small town that was inspired by To Kill a Mockingbird, um, which is why it's a small town. It's why they're not sitting in a city. Uh, and I wanted to do a satirical version of of Maycomb County uh, from To Kill a Mockingbird, which is why it was so ironic that Harper Lee became a fan later on. Maybe she recognized it. I don't know. So I'm afraid that's all you can get out of me is that, that I have a set of oddball characters that have no business being together, living in a small town, which is an excuse for me to draw hills rather than building. <laughs> and uh, that's my filter on the world. And otherwise, it makes absolutely no sense, which I suspect a real Bloom County fan would tell you as well it shouldn't. The minute it starts making any sense, they probably would lose interest. 
So, Fair enough. Um, I had never, ever, ever intended to cartoon again. Certainly never intended to do a daily strip again, not Bloom County. And, uh, and when Harper's book got published, it made me think harder about my own characters and how fragile they were, as hers were, and how they could die. And I wasn't ready for that. Um, and then Donald Trump came along and indicated that we were in, in way too interesting a time to sit on the sidelines anymore. So there it is. Fair enough. Um, so you're saying that you got involved in cartooning in Bloom County at a very young age. Can you talk about a little about like how you came into cartooning and and how Bloom County came to be? I had begun cartooning in college at the University of Texas, uh, and I ended up putting myself through school by the cartoons, selling the books myself. Uh, and it was my first discovery that that there could be a business model and there was some way to actually support yourself by drawing stupid pictures so you started out uh, self-publishing um i did i i was uh, published in the in the school newspaper at university of texas uh and i put out my first book and it ended up supporting me for the next couple of years just from sales in austin um that was a shock to me and it got me a syndication deal and it started me professionally but when they came to me and they said, all right, well, we don't know what you, what we want. Um, you can do any kind of comic strip you want, but just give it to us. Uh, I had no idea what to do. In Doonesbury's case, in, in uh, Gary Trudeau's case, uh, when the same opportunity came to him as he left Yale, he just continued his college strip, uh, which he could get away with in the 70s. But that wasn't going to be possible in the 80s. So... That's why I talked about when, when it came time to concoct a comic strip and I was given free reign to do anything I wanted, um, it was terrifying because normal, most comic strips have a theme. Uh, again, hillbillies or, or uh, animals living in a, in, a, in a forest or something. And I, I didn't have any ideas and I didn't want to limit myself to a theme that eventually might wind itself down. So... I, that's when I returned to the iconography of To Kill a Mockingbird and the, the mental visual imagery I had from the book that it was the most uh, operative one in my childhood. Um, and I just decided to, to populate Macomb County from Mockingbird with my own characters and eventually threw a penguin in, largely because I got tired of drawing people. So that is a good reason. That, the, the, the genesis of Bloom County is no more sophisticated than that. Um, uh, the rest of it, I have the faintest idea where it all came from. <laughs> so how'd you end up with IDW? Like, clearly you had a publisher before, you had a syndicate before, you decided to go it out on your own on Facebook, and then here comes the book from IDW. How did that, how did that happen? Well, good question. Uh, as this is... As this is PW, it's a it's an appropriate question. IDW um, is is a uh, for people who don't know, they're a specialty publisher of comic book collections. Specifically, they they publish comics themselves, um, but they're they're a boutique publisher almost. I'm, they, they, I don't know, don't mind me. They're comic that. specialty, yeah. C- comic specialty. Uh, I had always been published by mainstream publishers. In fact, most mainstream, uh, Little Brown out of Boston. Uh, as tweedy as they come, uh, 
and I was served by a fabulous uh, editor there uh, at the time. Um, but those those days are gone, and they came to me some years ago to do the complete Bloom County. They wanted IDW came wanted to do every strip that I'd ever done, uh, the full version of it. And we're talking thousands and thousands and thousands of strips. Where mine were all in boxes scattered all over the hell, the place, and there was there was uh, they were soaked with water and and God knows what. And um, they, uh, my editor agreed to come up, uh, Scott Dunbar, and uh, spend months and months sifting through decades of my work, and then spent the next few years publishing everything I'd ever done, ever drawn all the way back to when I was 10 in book form, which is what it exists now. So the book that you're seeing now, the new Bloom, Bloom County book, is the end result of years of him publishing my old material. And I'm not sure I would have come back to Bloom County if he hadn't almost forced me to go back and relook and relive the stuff that I hadn't looked at for decades. Um, so in a backwards way, he helped ensure that I uh, – it was not his plan that it, by the time I was promoting these books and sitting at Comic-Con and, and meeting fans from the old days, it suddenly was occurring to me along with the other things that I talked about that, hell, I ought to be really exploring this again before before it gets too late. Um, and so here's IDW publishing the first Bloom County collection in 26 years, as they should have. You know, that's the, it's the publisher that I should have been with and that should be doing the book. Well, that's great, and thanks for coming back. Um, and My yeah, pleasure. having having the right publisher and the right editor really does seem to make all the difference for a book. Oh, it, oh, it does indeed. And then when you have the wrong one, like Harper Lee did, <laughs> that may be impolitic for me to say in public. No, I, I don't think so. It's it's something that uh, has certainly been a hot topic of discussion in publishing ever since the book came out. I, it, yeah, well, you put it as nicely as you could. Do you have anything else that you uh, want to share with our readers or that's on your mind? Yes, actually, I have one more thing, which is that not only is is uh, A New Hope coming out for Bloom County on by IDW uh, on September, I think, 13th, 15th, mm -hmm. middle of September, uh, but also The Build a Cat Story, published by Penguin, um, which is my first children's book featuring – Build a, a cat. Comatose, uh, build a cat. Um, and it's his origin story. So I would be remiss if, uh, for a, an entirely different publisher, that I not mention that as well. And they're being published on the precisely the same day um, and available in stores on online everywhere. So I would encourage people to check it out. It's uh, it's one more opportunity for me to, to corrupt yet another generation. So we'll see what happens. Okay, so you've got your book. You've got your, these two books coming out. I take it that Bloom County is still going strong on your Facebook page with no plans for ending anytime soon? No plans. Um, I no longer give predictions. Um, but we have hundreds and hundreds of thousands of regular readers uh, and sometimes millions. Um, and uh, they've turned out to be extremely loyal and very responsive and thankful. But at this point in their lives, they've got back characters that they never expected, like me, to be in their lives again. And they're almost in a state of shock. Uh, it's very interesting and moving many times listening to them 
talk about your creation, my creation, one's creation, in the personal terms that they do. And I, and I, I wouldn't be surprised that, that novelists and other writers aren't envious of this. And I would encourage them to explore what other ways that they could do maybe similar things themselves. Obviously, a cartoon, a comic panel is, is, uh, would be encouraged more by a, a daily appearance <laughs> on Facebook than a novelization. But, um, you know, Dickens did it. So, um, they, it's, there, there may be a paradigm there, but your, uh, our ability to connect with our readers is, uh, this is a brand new force. And, um, I would be, I would be surprised that other creators of other forms of fiction and creation, uh, and both art and literary wouldn't, uh, or shouldn't explore similar things because it's been a, it's been a, a, a watershed. Uh, in in my career, my creative career, being able to talk to the very people that uh, one touches with their uh, imagination. So it's uh, been very exciting. So how can our listeners find your comic on Facebook? Is it under your name or does it have its own dedicated page? What address may I direct them to so that they may find this work of genius? It's Berkeley Breathed on Facebook. Um, and if uh, they can find me online, and we'll, we will we will be uh, publishing the strips soon um, every day on my webpage as well. But that community of readers is is what finds their way to my Facebook page, the Berkeley Breathed Facebook page. And that's the official Berkeley Breathed page. Well, good luck with your uh, future artistic endeavors and the ongoing history of Bloom County. And thank you so much. Thank you, Kate.